Good afternoon and welcome to Mission Driven You. Thank you for tuning in today. This is a podcast where we focus on people who want to do well and who want to do good in the world. And today I'm super excited to be interviewing Tracy Hill. Tracy Hill provides the space for people to take back their emotional, mental, and physical health through subtle energy, alchemy, and they, helping them understand how to overcome emotional trauma and how to fully follow their passions and purpose. So I'm super excited to welcome you to the podcast today, Tracy. Thank you for having me, Will. It's great to be here. Thank you. This is great. So I mentioned we always start with one question. This podcast used to be called A Revolution of Interdependence, where we really focused on how we help each other succeed. Even though we rebranded what we're doing, we're still really interested in that question. So we always start with that first question. Tell us the story of some group, can be a person, could be a mentor, could be a group of people that really helped you get to where you are today. So interesting. This is, a, this is not what you'd expect as my answer, I was going through my diagnosis, which I'm sure I'll dive into, and I was searching for a way to help myself, and I was going to get dog food at this like boarding slash dog food store, and this lady who worked there, a young woman, happened to have the same diagnosis as me. I said, well, what are you taking? She goes, nothing. I'm doing it naturally. I'm like, oh, (laughs) oh. I can do that too. Like I wouldn't have known. And so I don't know her name. (laughs) I (laughs) never saw her again, but she was a huge influence for me. Like, I'm so glad I ran into you. This is great. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? Thank you for sharing that story. Yeah. I I love asking people that question because oftentimes their eyes kind of light up and they think of somebody they hadn't thought of in a while. And I, I especially love that answer because we are surrounded by angels, people who want to speak into our lives. And when we let them, miraculous things can happen. So thank you for that answer. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. So let's dive in because I want to start with your story because it's a pretty remarkable story. So you were diagnosed at 25 with MS. You're a very active person. Like take us back to that time and tell us the experience of that diagnosis. Sure. So just a slight backstory. I joined the military and I was going to college kind of intermittently and I got deployed overseas. So I got a bunch of shots going overseas, was finishing up my master's degree. I had fractured my spine while in college as an athlete, but finishing up my master's degree in kinesiology, I was working with athletes all the time. I was teaching undergrad classes and exercise physiology. So I know the body really well. And I was tripping and falling over nothing. And, you know, a few months later, a few MRIs later, spinal tap later, they're like, ah, yeah, you got multiple sclerosis. And I was like, well, what is that? Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and I remember driving home because I was living in Chicago, my parents in the suburbs and I'm telling them on the phone and, you know, my mom's really upset. And I'm like, I don't know what to be upset about because I don't even know when it's in yet. Right, right. (laughs) So, you know, really, there is no diagnostic tool. So I will say it took about almost a year to like fully say, yeah, this is what you have. Wow. And that's, you know, par for the course back then, back in 2000. So in the meantime, going through diagnosis, I got on the Chicago Fire Department because my symptoms were coming and going. I did go on a medication that was a shot every single day. Did mm. not feel good doing that. Felt like I had the right. flu every day. And so I just 
took myself off. I ran into this lady at the dog food store. <laughs> like, like I right. can do that. Yeah. And I like to tell people, like, listen, I'm stubborn. I'm stubborn. Right. And when I get yeah. something in my mind, that's it. So I was like, I'm doing this. I'm doing this naturally. No one can tell me otherwise. <laughs> so that's kind of how my adventure began, my journey, right. my deep dive down the rabbit holes that there are pl- a plethora of, right? Right. And so I continued to expand my knowledge as much as possible. I mean, I went in every direction you could think of. I decided to, you know, of course, expand on my nutrition knowledge even more. I mean, I had a good base going. So now I'm a holistic, certified holistic nutrition coach. I went into trauma and stress and parasites and bacteria and candida and and you name it. (laughs) Right. right. I just kept like, you know, expanding my black hole or my vortex of knowledge and just sucking up as much as I could. And in all of my understanding of this disease, particularly, or any autoimmune disease, you know, it's, it's so interesting because it's arthritis. It's, all of these diseases that don't really have a reason that you get and don't have a cure. Right. Right. They're always emotional. It always comes back down to emotions. Yeah. Yeah. That is interesting. I I actually happen to know somebody with MS. So I know a little bit about the answer to this question, but the fact that there's no official diagnosis, like what's, (laughs) why is that the case? And and how can that be a thing if there's no diagnosis? Like help us understand what you know about, about MS. I know you're not a medical doctor, but you're clearly an experienced person with it. So tell us more about the disease itself. Sure. So for your listeners that don't know, it means you have lesions on your brain and your myelin sheath has kind of worn away. And and again, yeah, you're right. I'm not a neurologist or a doctor, but Because they literally don't know. I mean, they'll they'll test you for Lyme disease, brain cancer, all kinds of other things. They do the MRIs. They probably do multiple, depending on your insurance. They will do the spinal tap to see if they're in your spinal fluid. And ultimately, it's the lesions on the brain that will say, yeah, it looks like you have MS. That's all they're going. Yeah. Or the in your spine. And that's it because there isn't like a blood test or... They can do like these neurology tests where your eyes track objects on the screen. But again, that could just be a neurological disorder. Yeah. And when I realized like, okay, so there's no reason for the cause. They don't have a specific cause, a diagnostic tool. There's no cure that tells me that they really don't know what it is. And if they know what it is, how can the medication be okay? Right. Yeah. So in other words, we're giving medicine for something that they're not exactly sure what it is. And I'm a big fan of medicine. I, I'm, I'm not an ant, I'm not opposed to the medical establishment, but it is interesting that there's this significant illness and it, it affects a, a large number of people in the United States. Then we don't really exactly, you know, we have a tough time diagnosing it precisely. So that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us more about you. You mentioned there that it's largely having to do with emotions and kind of how you think. I know that there's there's a lot tied up in that and, and even some of the related illnesses around inflammation and things like that. I know a lot of it has to do with not just what we do in our body, what's happening in our body, but often how we think about these things. So talk to us more about the idea of it, of MS and the linkage to emotions. Sure. So you know, the, like I said, the nerves are sheared, right? And 
When you hear these analogies in life, these right. sayings that we have for the physical body, it's in direct relation to the actual physical output. So like my nerves are frayed. Well, guess what I was doing at the time? I was getting my master's degree, working full time, right. <laughs> working out eight hours a day. I don't suggest doing that ever. Um, it was a lot right. of working out. So right. I was really stressed out. And I have a Facebook group for people with multiple sclerosis with over 22,000 people in it. Wow. And everyone will tell yeah. you, I'm stressed, I'm stressed, I'm stressed. Yeah. So you're yeah. right, your wits end, right? Your, your yeah. nerves are frayed. So that's literally what's happening. Your nerves get frayed. And so it's the ability to manage the stress. And this is how I came about all this. I started with a little bit of breath work and that was working and stripping away trapped emotions in my body, which I can get right. into if you like to. But yep. ultimately, it is people who are needing to be in control, however, don't typically voice their opinion. This is why it's mostly in females, typically don't voice their opinion. <laughs> And are stressed out, try to do it all, try to be perfect, have a little bit of perfectionism. Right. And so there's a lot of the same traits mm -hmm. over and over. Yeah. Yeah. This sounds familiar. All right. So you're you're in the you're in the pet store and you meet this person who has this the same diagnosis and they say, look, I, I was able to deal with this without going through the traditional medical route. You said, Okay, you know, that I was supposed to hear that today and I'm going to take that I'm going to take that on as a as a challenge. What did you do then? Like wh where did you go from there? Did you, you know, what how did, how did you go about creating the process that helped you figure out how to deal with this chronic issue? Okay, so this was overall about a 10-year process, but sure. the, initial, yeah. the initial thought was, huh, that makes so much sense. Let me look up what causes inflammation. So it right. started with that. It went to environment because they were testing me for, you know, heavy metals and I had mercury right. fillings. Like, you know, people are like, right. could be anything fluoride in the right. water that it went to right. that. So I was kind of, I branched out kind of right away into environment, the things that I'm intaking, not just food, but things I'm putting on my body and it just kind of scurried really quick, right? It was started like branching, yeah. branching, branching out. Yeah. And I sat on the internet for hours and hours a day looking, you know, and one, another pivotal moment, not on so much, I mean, positive, yes, but it wasn't a nice thing to say, but I was on the MS Society website and there's like a, a was a blog. I'm sure there still is inside there. You can just chat with people and Right. Someone was asking about like, what do you do to feel better? And I said, I do yoga. It helps me feel better. And a nurse came on such a specific moment. She came on and said, you can't say that. It's not proven. I was like, <laughs> right. <laughs> the devil worship or something. Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh so I was like, okay, I'm done with this website. I'm done with right. this right. you know, very closed minded way of looking at something that has no cure and no reason for the disease, obviously you're just spewing off what the doctors are telling you to spew off. So that was kind of another big turning point for me. Cause I'm like, well, if I can't say yoga helps me, <laughs> I'm right. in the wrong community. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, yeah. It wasn't yeah. Even like I was a yoga teacher. I was just once in a while doing yoga. <laughs> so, right. you know, looking at my environment, especially, I found just so much re research on the air quality, the soil quality, going into gut health, gut health. Oh, 
as we all know now, is huge. I mean, this is going back 20 years ago right? when really no one talked about it. But gut health was like such a huge thing that I, while I understood what a, a good diet looked like, I had to shift into an autoimmune dis- diet. Okay. Which, yeah. You know, it wasn't a thing then, at least not well known. And right. so I had to make up my own thing. I had to rid myself of candida, um, which is, you know, the bacteria that will fester and love sugar. So that yeah. Will, yeah. Yeah. And so from there, then it went into more of like, well, why am I susceptible to certain things? Whereas people in my family, like my brother isn't, you know, or his is results in a different way. Like he's got right. skin stuff, you know, like mm-hmm. not quite psoriasis, but he gets skin inflammation. So right. what makes that different? And once I got into the emotion side of understanding diseases, then I realized, well, where are those coming from? And I realized, oh my God, the ancestral emotions are huge. Like, sure. so what I've really, I think this is going to be very helpful for some of your listeners, because I think this is really important to hear if they haven't heard it before. But when you say you have something in your family, like let's say heart disease or cancer, it's actually that it's the emotion that gets handed. Mm. And it's really important to understand that because when you can release the emotion, you release it from both sides of the line and you don't have to succumb to that disease or illness anymore. Yeah. Really important to understand that. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can attest. I've been doing some of my own work lately on sort of understanding the things I was handed by ancestors this it's interesting i had somebody on the podcast a few weeks ago or i interviewed him a few weeks ago and he uh made the interesting comment he had he lives in new york and he had seen this um, graffiti scrawled on the side of a building he it said you are your ancestors wildest dreams and so in some ways there's this sense in which you know we are living in a kind of world that even our grandparents, great-grandparents might not have been able to imagine. And that's true, but it's also true. You're right, that we're carrying forward all this emotional baggage that uh, that we got handed through family systems, probably through genetics in ways we're still trying to figure out exactly epigenetically and so on. So let's start there because I want to get get also, I want to really learn from your experience. Like, what did you do to really begin to strip away those emotions? And we'll, we'll talk about breath work. I want to, I want to talk more broadly about what you do with, with individuals, but let's start with that question of stripping away emotions and and dealing with some of the baggage that you were handed, however you were handed it, whether it's genetically, (laughs) epigenetically, family systems and all that, what do you do and how do you help people strip away those emotions? So I do what's called emotional clearing. Mm -hmm. And as we go through from being in the womb, our our own stuff. Okay. So from being in the womb all the way to this moment, anytime we have a situation which brings upon excess stress, so brings on anger, fear, frustration, guilt, shame, and we don't process it out, it decides to live in our body. And anger, for example, lives in the liver and gallbladder. Fear lives in the kidney and bladder. Sadness and sorrow, sadness lives in the heart Mm -hmm. and the small intestine. So we have specific spots, but it also lies in the heart. So I used to use an onion as the uh, example, but I like to use an artichoke because at the center of the artichoke is the heart, right? So 
as we strip away the outside leaves, like we think, oh, I'm going to get rid of this piece of anger and this piece of anger and this piece of frustration, but underneath are more of the same or some difference. Right. And as we get closer and closer, it's like, oh, I didn't realize that, but you become more of who you really are. Your heart starts to get exposed and you start to shine from the heart rather than all these outside ego layers. So essentially those layers are just ego and, you know, we're ruled by that ego because, oh boy, we don't want to die of a social media blunder or getting cut (laughs) off in our car, you know? (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's no more the proverbial tiger anymore, you know, it's like right. traffic or social media or, you know, something silly now, but we still feel the impact of that. Yeah. And so we use these if we don't process them out by either crying or expressing them, they get lodged in our body. And right. every time we do that, we add on more layers of the same thing. We see the same cycles in our life over and over again. Always for me, because I'll use my I'll use my own examples because yeah, they're sure. funny. I always get in the longest line at the grocery store. Always. <laughs> right. right. Even though I thought right. it was the shortest, it's like right. my God. So my one lesson was patience. I have to learn patience. I have to learn right. patience. I had to work on that one for a while. Oof. Sure. And it once in a while it still comes up like, okay, you're not completely absolved of it, but you're, you know, when you notice it right away. And so I had to really work on that one in order to be, to have more compassion for people. Like not everyone's at my pace, you know, you can't, I can't be at my pace. And then like, if someone's even faster than me or in more of a hurry, I'm like, how rude, you know? So like, well, chill out. You got to figure out your patience. So that was one many layers I had to remove to get back down into the core of who I really am. So I started about 15 years ago, removing my own trapped emotions. I heard there were no podcasts back then. Or not too many. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know. Like I heard it audio. I don't even know what I was listening on. Right. To be honest with you, it wasn't YouTube, but it was something. Right. And I heard a lecture about trapped emotions. So I'm like, well, let me just try it, you know? And so I got the magnet and uh, I didn't know if it was really working. And then after months of doing it on myself, not telling anybody, I was like starting to feel different and like, oh, wow. Like, okay. I didn't react like I normally would. My throat chakra was starting to open up my, you know, I was, I never, I didn't get bronchitis. Like I, I I did every single year that had stopped. I was like, something's going on. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I, and I also got rid of a cat allergy, severe cat allergy that I have. I saw a cat running around here somewhere. Egg allergy, like things were flipping for me. I was like, okay, I don't, I'm not sure what's happening, but cool, you know? Right. And then I started to realize like, this is everybody. This is everybody. Yeah. Everybody needs yeah. this. And then I started getting into my ancestral trapped emotions and those were heavy and oh, and so it just kept going and going. I, I started with like 800,000 which is where most people are. And I'm at zero. For a few what does years. that mean? You started with 800,000, what emotions or what? It, yep. Okay. Wow. So it could wow. be like a lot like worry, worry would yeah. come up and then wishy-washy and then more worry right. and then worry again, and then anger, then fear, then right. worry, you know? Yeah. So it's not just like, I can't get rid of all of my worry. It's the worry right. from like one very specific incident right. because right. I didn't process that incident. Okay. So now I have to get rid of it. Yeah. Yeah. And the great That's thing, powerful. Yeah. And you don't need to know what they're from. 
which is awesome. Like, I don't have to go back and go, oh, when was that from? Because that would be 800,000 incidences. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I love that model. And I love the analogy of an artichoke, by the way, Tracy, because like an onion. So I'm I'm a cook. I'm a chef. I'm, I'm a cook. I'm a good home chef. And frankly, there's not a huge difference in taste profile or goodness of the outside of the onion to the inside of the onion. They're all relatively the same in terms of taste and quality and all that. So peeling the onion back never made a ton of sense because at the center of the onion, you have kind of what you started with on the outside. But the idea of an artichoke, I love that analogy because that that is, you know, when you peel all the other things away, you get the heart, you get the most delicious part. So I love <laughs> that analogy. That's good. Now talk about trauma release, because that's something that you work with, I know, and you sort of work with in a more formal way, because for a lot of us, there's inherited emotional trauma, but then there's also emotional trauma that we picked up through family systems, through experience, maybe often through things that we we felt that we couldn't control in our life, we felt happened to us. And so we carry this trauma forward. What does trauma release look like? So, well, in my practice, the trauma releasing is different for everyone. I have to start with some emotional releasing to kind of peel okay. away some of those okay. layers to, because you know, what happens is typically our traumas from five to seven, as you know, from five to seven right. years old is when we get our most of our trauma. And that could be physical, sexual, emotional, spiritual, all of it. And it doesn't have to be extreme. Everyone's level of how they see the trauma is different. So, you know, nearly getting hit by a car, that could be severe trauma to someone, whereas, you know, a sexual trauma is on the same level as getting hit by a car by someone else. So it's not to mitigate anyone's level or sense of trauma. It's just to say that your trauma is going to be based on your experiences and your sensitivity to it. So between the ages of five and seven, as most people know, we get most of our trauma. And, you know, whether that's divorce, death in a family, death of a pet, you know, being ripped away from somebody, all kinds of things, all kinds of things. And to help with that process, I do always go through the emotional clearing because it helps peel away some of the layers. And then what we're finding is we see these cycles that people have in their life. So a cycle of people pleasing, I see that a lot in females, people pleasing, yeah. lots of people yeah. pleasing and no boundaries, right? So you're always saying, you're always, yes, yes, I'll do that for you. And even though you don't want to, <laughs> Right, Even though, right. yeah, or you know, and you know that there's no reciprocation, you know that you're not going to get anything in return, and you're just exhausted and you're wiped out, and that's a lot of times leads to cancer, chronic fatigue syndrome, MS mm-hmm. is one. So many different ailments can lead to that, and so when we can acknowledge the cycles, because most people don't even realize they're just in their own life doing the same right. cycles over again. So we have to bring up these cycles to see that, oh yeah, well, this is like, it keeps repeating over and over again. That's step one is the acknowledgement to actually see this is where you're at. And then two, where it came from. A lot of times there's a very first incident. Someone will remember that it happened and we go back into that. It's not pretty work. This is yeah. <laughs> and then we go in and I have different techniques for like either changing the scenario or understanding it from a different viewpoint, because no one wakes up every day and says, I'm going to go hurt someone today. You know, it's like right. everyone right. does this every day. So typically traumas come from a mom or dad or caregiver. And it's not like your parents set out 
to ever really hurt you. They were doing the best they could. And so we have to sometimes see it from a different point of view, from a bird's eye view, and that helps absolve it. We make amends with it. So different steps within that, depending on the type and the severity of the trauma. Okay. Yeah, that's helpful. That's helpful. And I've done some of that energy work and you're right. It's not pretty. It's, it's yucky. It's, it's, it's hard. It's hard work. It's not fun. And oftentimes you feel like you're, you're trudging through the mud, but you come out on the other side after that liminal phase with a real sense of clearing and and some beauty. Let's talk about some of the practical steps, because I know you talked about, let's, I just want to start with breath work. So I'm a sold out fan of breath work. And now I, now I want to give you some space to make everybody else listening the same, the same level to have them, the give them the same level of fandom. So like, first of all, how did breath work help you in dealing with your chronic illness? But then how do you use it on a daily basis? And how do you teach other people to be engaged in breath work? So like the emotional clearing, there was some something I was listening to, couldn't even tell you what it was, but talking about box breathing. And again, this is going back 20 years. This is before anyone knew what box breathing was. And I literally did that for one minute every single day. And I noticed within three days, I was feeling better. I'm like, nothing to this. Like the immediate effect was like, wow, there's something to this. So it took me a while to kind of like dive deeper into more breath work, but now I am like a breath coach and I I love different breathing techniques and I'm always learning more. So with my clients, I will give them options because, you know, breath work can be uncomfortable for some people. It will bring up emotions for some people. So depending on what we're using it for, I always tell people at the very minimum, you can do box breathing for one minute because that's the research I remember hearing. That's all you need. It was one minute of box breathing. So I'm sure your listeners know, but it's for... Uh, four seconds breath in, hold for four, four seconds out, hold for four, and just repeat for a minute. Super easy. Now, there's breath work for increasing um, nitric oxide in your breath. And there's a method called buteco breathing, which is a just a phenomenal breath work. You can find YouTube videos on that. There's the fire breathing, which helps bring clarity to the mind. There's alternating nostril breathing, Nadi Shodana, which is beautiful for relaxation and syncing up the left and right hemispheres, which for me, because I'm very much left brain a lot, I like to sync my brain up more often. And so there's, of course, there's just so many different breathing techniques out there that I say, whatever works for you. I just, I do a bunch of different ones with my clients and I tell them whichever one you're going to do, do that one. Yeah. <laughs> so whatever works for you, do it. Yeah. Now you describe yourself, you describe the work you do as energy alchemy. So I want you to kind of unpack that. I want to talk about energy healing, how energy relates to this overall conversation. All right. I'm glad you asked. So um, I am going back to school to get my doctorate in integrative medicine. And the beautiful thing is it's teaching everything with the backed up research. I'm like, oh, great. So it's quantum, we're learning quantum physics, essentially, for for health. And when I work on the layers of your, your energetic body, so we have all these layers outside of our physical body, they are the ones that have quantum possibility, right? They haven't collapsed into our physical body yet. So right now, all around me are all the possibilities that exist. 
And my conscious mind will pull based on many different things, right? Our experience, our knowledge, et cetera, et cetera. We'll pull that possibility down and make it a collapse it into a reality. And so we go from wave to particle. Okay, so I know it's a little quantum physics here, a little sciencey, but yeah, essentially good. you think of like this cloud, right? We have this, you can you send your information up to the cloud. Well, the cloud holds all the information everywhere of everybody and everything. The cloud is all around you. Now you come a little closer to your body. It's your spiritual energetic body that's holding information and the possibility within this area around your physical body it has the information. You just need to decide which one you're going to choose from. But without awareness, being living unconsciously, you just go about with what you've known, the habits that you have. So to change that, you have to realize that all possibilities exist and you have to choose that possibility and bring that waveform of possibility because it's like a wave, like a light wave and bring it down and make it a particle, a cell within your body. So you're collapsing it into the physical body. And so as why I call myself a subtle energy alchemist is because it takes a while to change, but it's lasting change. You, it, you, it's impossible to change the physical body to affect the spiritual. It's the other way around only. And so if you want lasting change, you have to go to the energetic bodies first to let it collapse into the physical. That's the only way it will last forever. And so a lot of people, a lot of my clients, they have kids, have family, have jobs, and they don't want this major disruption. Like, like what I had, like this, I don't know who I am anymore, this existential crisis, right? And so I work subtly so that you can still, you know, function in daily life and do your things, but you are going to change. And so it's a little more subtle. So it's kind of like a dual meaning, meaning we're working on your subtle bodies before the physical, but we're also working subtly so that you can function in everyday life. Yeah, I love that approach. And so much of it is about is about consciousness. And I want to talk about levels of consciousness here in just a second. But I, I love the that approach that you offer because it it helps people become aware. And so I want you to talk about levels of consciousness, but also just the idea of awareness. I mean, this is where it starts, isn't it? Like you, to your point, you had MS, you had this diagnosis of MS. So you had to become like you suddenly became aware there was there was a crisis that you had to deal with for me i'm a person in long-term recovery like a lot of the things you're talking about energy and sort of understanding that other people are spiritually sick these are things that you learn as part of the recovery process but oftentimes it was the lessons we learned were dearly paid for for you it was ms for me it was recovery for other people it's it's certain big events how can people become aware of of these issues of energy and how they're affecting their life and how they can find healing if, if they're you know if they don't want their life to blow up first? Like how what's what does everyday awareness look like? I guess. Okay, so one thing I did, which is it's so simple, and you know most of your listeners aren't going to do this because it's so simple. I would chart, like my kids would be taking a nap. So I'd have just a little free time to myself, five minutes. I would sit on the couch, no TV on, no radio on, you know, we didn't really, cell phones weren't kind of a big thing then. And I would just sit on the couch and stare out in space like, oh, and I'll just sit there for five minutes and just kind of become aware of like, 
I'm sitting on the couch right now and doing nothing. And I'm okay with that. Just sitting here. Right. That's all good. So that's one very easy free way. Always nature. Nature always is the answer to me. Go out barefoot in the grass, go hug a tree, you know, go by water. I always say go by water and see what lessons you can learn from water because it is resilient. It can freeze. It can evaporate. It can go over rocks. It can make a new path. It's, it's just an amazing source. And then, you know, I, I guess on a more practical level is I'll say like brain dumping in the morning. So it's like journaling. The very first thing you do before you even get up to pee, you go, you just, it doesn't have to be legible. You just start writing whatever because it helps free your mind space to have the agility to have more synapses fire throughout the day and you're not so tired from it. Um, That's always another one or just, you know, stretching, becoming very conscious of your stretching, but then looking at your cycles, getting a little bit deeper is looking into your cycles and seeing like, okay, why am I always, you know, finding a job that doesn't want to keep me or I get fired from what's, you know, what's that cycle or, you know, why do I always get into this car accident or whatever it is, you have these cycles. And so that that's, you know, a deeper layer, see, see your, how your choices and habits are affecting your daily life. Yeah. And then what does it look like to become more conscious? Like as you think about levels of consciousness, not that they're, you know, it's not like you're measuring decibels or it's not a clear like one, two, three, four, five, but what do levels of consciousness look like? How can you, how can we, I guess the question I'm interested in is how can users, how can individuals sort of know where they're at? What's a tool for understanding what my level of consciousness is at any given time? Okay, so there are actually numbers, and I can add, I'm capable okay, of testing for anybody. It takes five yeah. seconds to to know. So the the scale goes from zero to a thousand based on Dr. David Hawkins' work, okay. and it's the scale of consciousness. So just to kind of give an idea, two hundred anything under two hundred is where, where a lot of people are right now because it's very fear based. There's guilt, shame, and fear under two hundred, and when we're in that, we don't have personal power. So if you feel like you don't have the voice to speak up, the the ability to make your own choices, you're reliant on other people all the time, you're probably under 200 without getting it measured. Anything over 200, you know, we're getting into anger, but anger can be proactive, right? You're just voicing yourself, probably just not in a nice way, (laughs) but you're voicing your opinion. All right. So now as we move up the scale, 500 is love, unconditional love most there's 1% of the population is there. That's it. And so as we move up, like mother Teresa was at 741 and you can just, you know, you don't have to know your number, but if you, whatever you see in other people, that's a a mirror of yourself. And so if you're wondering where you're at, just look at how you view other people or who who's in your life, you know, the six closest people to you, you'll get a good idea of where you're at. (laughs) And if you want to, if you're good where you're at, or if you want to start moving up the scale, but it, there is a number and it's, you know, very possible to know, and you can move up and down that scale depending on the kind of work you do or don't do. I love that. And I, I always think I'm asking informed questions and then I guess like, no, this is actually, so I love that. And I love learning. I mean, I swear half the reason I interview interesting people is so I can, so I can learn as well. So that's really fascinating. 
I'm going to close this with one question that I've been asking lately. And I think it really particularly, it's a, just a nice segue from what we were just talking about in terms of levels of consciousness. So, so many of the guests that I, I get to interview on this podcast are really seeking to make the world more whole, more healed, just a better, a better place. They really want to be those better ancestors, like we talked about earlier. So I want you to answer this is a little this is a little from left field but i want you to answer think about this for just a moment if you could look say 15 to 20 years down the line and imagine that i don't know some world leader is listening to this podcast and they're and they suddenly key into the idea of really helping people lay, raise their consciousness and it becomes a global movement where people are like we're going to raise our consciousness i want you to look 15 to 20 years down the line and tell us what that world would look like. I was actually just thinking this this morning. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's out of left field, but not so much, right? There you go. I must we're gonna ask this. So what's been on my mind for the last few months is how to live that way and for everybody to live that way. And I think the answer comes in the form of like an ashram, which is kind of more of a new concept to me, but it's a community-based living. Yeah. Now, some people might be like, well, that's like a cult. No, it's not, it's not like culty right. and it's not segregated. It is a community of you can come and go, but we all have a gift we share because that's what I teach my kids. Like whatever your gift is, you have to share it with the world. And that's what you do. That's what you hone in on. You don't work on your on the things that you're not good at. You work on the things that you're great at because that's what the world needs of you. That is your gift to society. And so if we all come together and share our gifts, we are never without. We are never without. We can have peace and joy. And I just, it's like in my mind, I'm living in a space like this where we help each other build houses and we grow our own food and we we raise our children together. And there's just this real strong sense of family, not just community, but family that we are supporting each other in every realm. And, you know, again, we're never without. We always have something supplied to us because we are growing with each other and not segregated. Like I live in Chicago, but I never see my neighbors. You know, I there's cars everywhere, but I don't see people. You know, it's like, right. it's so, it's sad. And we are community people. We're very communal people. You might not be like an outgoing extrovert. I'm not, but that doesn't mean you don't need support. We all need support. And I can't do everything and nobody can do everything. And to think that we can, I think that we were on that bandwagon for a while, like, especially for women, like, oh, you could be the mom and work and blah, blah, blah. We're exhausted. <laughs> so I can't do everything and I don't want to have to do everything. I need support here. I need support here, but I can offer this. And that's what I see. I love that vision. I love that vision. What a beautiful way and beautiful, uh, beautiful picture to take us out on. So if somebody's listening, let's start first with somebody's listening and they are struggling with MS and trying to figure out how to find solutions, how to find support. First of all, how do they connect with you about that? I'm on Facebook. It's healing multiple sclerosis naturally. You have to answer some questions and get invited into the group. It's a very sacred group, I will say. So they, my community loves it because they keep it very sacred and holy in there. And then I'm personally conscious evolution coach on Facebook. There we go. Excellent. Great. 
Tracy Hill, this was such a generative conversation. I'm so excited to have, to have had this conversation today and to share it out with folks. So thank you. Thank you for your gift of presence. Thank you for what you're putting into the world and making the world more whole. And thanks for being here today. Thank you, Will. I appreciate you.